the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to today's podcast, sponsored by Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale at Hillsdale.edu. I encourage you to take advantage of the many free online courses there. And, of course, to listen to the Hillsdale Dialogues, all of them at Q for Hillsdale.com, or just Google Apple, iTunes, and Hillsdale. To the moon. Morning let glory, everybody. Among the stars. Welcome to the Hugh Hewitt Show. Let me see My name is Dwayne Patterson. I am filling like in for Hugh for at least the first couple of hours before we turn things over in hour three to Dr. Larry Arn in Hillsdale for a Hillsdale Dialogue. Playing a little Frank, Frank Sinatra and Fly Me to the Moon because for the first time in 52 years, the U.S. landed a spacecraft successfully on the South Pole of the Moon yesterday, last night. It's kind of cool to see. I was in the universe doing a taping of my after show podcast when the touchdown took place. And it was uh, rather cool to see online everybody all of a sudden do all the high fives and cheers as as it uh, touched down successfully. So we're back on the moon. Now it's AI, it's not exactly real people. It's just a machine that we landed on the moon. But we're back on the moon, so that's uh, that's very good news. So congrats to everybody in the space program and the hybrid with the private sector. Uh, the robotic lander was the first U.S. vehicle on the moon since Apollo 17 in 1972. I'm reading from the New York Times this morning. The closing chapter in humanity's astonishing achievement of sending people to the moon and bringing them all back alive. So congrats to everybody there. I wish all the news was as kind of fun and upbeat as that. It isn't. After the death and murder of Alexei Navalny in a Russian prison by Vladimir Putin, The United States, this is also out of the New York Times this morning, the U.S. is set to impose sanctions on more than 500 Russian targets. This is an Alan Rappaport story. The U.S. plans to impose sanctions on more than 500 targets on Friday in its response to Russia over the death of opposition leader Alexei A. Navalny, the largest single package in a flurry of economic restrictions, since the country's invasion of Ukraine two years ago, according to a Treasury Department spokesperson. The new measures, which are set to be rolled out by Treasury and State Department this morning, come after the White House signaled this week it was preparing major penalties after the recent death of Mr. Navalny in a Russian prison. It's not clear which sectors or individuals the Biden administration plans to target, a crucial variable in the sanctions' ultimate expansiveness and effectiveness. Well, you see, that's kind of the thing with the Biden administration is you don't quite always know what they're really going to do and what they actually mean to do because, well, this president is kind of old and addled and feeble, and he doesn't quite know what he's doing all the time. Yesterday... In Los Angeles, 
the president had a sit down and met with a grieving uh, widow, Yulia, Y-U-L-I-A, Yulia Navalny. And it wasn't really a there was a press opportunity to snap a couple of pictures, but there really wasn't a whole lot that was made public as to what the president actually said to Mrs. Navalny. Um, There's no evidence that he did anything like, you know, compared it to the death of his son, Bo, which he likes to do whenever he's comforting any grieving person. But what he did do was address the media shortly afterwards and said this, cut number 14, Harley. This morning I had the honor of meeting with Alexei Navalny's wife and daughter. One thing I made that was made clear to me is that uh, Yolanda is going to, she's going to continue to the fight he had on the way. Yolanda, Yolanda Nagalny is who he met with. Um, her name is not actually Yolanda. Her name is actually Yulia. Different uh, spelling, different uh, originality or different nationality. Joe Biden doesn't know who he's talking, when he's talking to him, and he won't know tomorrow. It, it won't even be Yolanda tomorrow. It'll be somebody else. That's how bad off this president is. Uh, I will have news a little bit later in the program about a Quinnipiac poll that kind of goes along with a different poll that was out showing that a vast majority of the American population, Democrat, Republican, it doesn't matter, think that the president is too old to do this job. We'll cover that in a little bit. Meanwhile, in other news, there was a cell tower outage yesterday. You may have noticed, if you have AT&T, and actually some of the other providers as well, Sprint and um, T-Mobile experienced some outage because in some pockets of the country, those providers use AT&T cell towers and kind of lease some of their infrastructure to be able to use their network as well. So everybody was affected to a degree yesterday. And of course, everybody was kind of freaking out, especially after the House Republican um, chair of House Intel, Mike Turner, warned last week that there was some plot of Russia doing something to our satellite that would be disruptive, some some space nuke thing. We don't really have all the details, but warned of something like that. So when the national cell outage went yesterday, everybody was kind of thinking the unthinkable out loud. Are we under some kind of a cyber attack? Well, it wasn't a cyber attack, but we were under attack by the sun. There was three different major solar flares in the last 24 to 48 hours, and those solar flares are being blamed, at least officially, for kind of frying a little bit one of the AT&T satellites. But everything seems to be back up and running now, and that is a very good thing. But a lot of people now are rethinking the idea of whether it's a smart uh, smart move to have a actual landline in case of an emergency, in case the cell towers do go down again. There's something to think about. Also in the news, Donald Trump appealed to the judge, Arthur Engeron, in New York after his $354 million uh, verdict, fine, 
and said, I need more than the 30 days you're giving me to pay this so that I can actually mount a decent appeal. So would you give us a little bit, cut us a little bit of a slack so we can get the appeal process done? And Garan said, nope, you got 30 days pay up. We're not going to, you've given me no reason to delay this at all. Pony up the cash. So the next stop, Donald Trump is going to appeal directly to, the, to an appellate court, and we will see where that goes from here. Also in the news, the Israeli war against the terrorists in Hamas goes on without much delay. At the same time, the Houthi rebels all but declared war on the United States, on Great Britain, and Israel. Here is a statement out of the Houthi, whatever it is, pirate uh, organization. Ships that are wholly or partially owned by Israeli individuals or entities and Israeli flag vessels are now banned from the Red Sea, the Gulf of Aden, and the Arabian Sea, said statements from an agency controlled by Yemen's Houthi group, seen by Reuters on Thursday. The statements sent to shipping insurers and firms from the Houthis Humanitarian Operations Coordination Center, also said ships owned by U.S. or British individuals or entities or sailing under their flags are also banned. Now, those are international waters. They're banning legitimate shipping and, and, and uh, international uh, shipping lanes from, from using. By saying you can no longer do that, that's basically an act of war. What we're going to do about it, again, you're now relying on the Biden administration, so who knows what that means. But the Houthis are are um, ramping up activities. In fact, in the last 24, 48 hours, there have been three times the amount of uh, attacks on U.S. and British interests than there were the three weeks previous to that combined. So the Houthis are ramping things up thanks to the is thanks to their patriarchs in Tehran. Meanwhile, Benny Gantz sees signs of progress on a hostage deal, but warns of a looming Rafa op during Ramadan. So they are at least trying to negotiate to get all the remaining hostages released in order for some kind of a temporary ceasefire. But until that happens, the war goes merrily along. There was 20 Hamas fighters killed just yesterday in a new Gaza City operation. The IDF is still pressing on, and they will and they should. There will be lots more uh, news coming up as the program unfolds. We will be having lots of video. Donald Trump was at the National Religious Broadcasters with Hugh giving a different speech, but they were both at the at the same place yesterday. We'll have all that. This is the Market Report, which is brought to you by our friends at American Federal, AmFed.com. AmericanFederal.com, actually. AmFed Coin and Bullion sells you gold, silver, platinum. If you're like the one, 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 one hundredth percent of people that collects coins, you can deal with them, too. They're very, very sophisticated. Ask for Nick or any of his team. Nick Grovich is my pal. If you want to buy gold, buy gold directly from Nick. AmericanFederal.com. Or call 800-221-7694. America, Dwayne Patterson in for Hugh Hewitt today as he works his way back from speaking at the National Religious Broadcasters in Nashville, Tennessee. 
But I'm joined by a good friend of the program, uh, Ben Dominich. You can read him over at The Spectator. He's editor-at-large there, plus he's on all sorts of different podcasts and all sorts of great content online on Twitter X. You can follow him at B Dominich, D-O-M-E-N-E-C-H, over on Twitter slash X. Good morning, Ben. How are you? I'm good, and it's good to be with you. It's uh, it's an interesting day uh, in part because, you know, we are on the cusp of, of having this long-awaited South Carolina primary, uh, and it really does feel very odd to, to say this, but having spent the last several days in South Carolina, it really doesn't feel like there's a primary at all. Uh, it doesn't feel like there's a competition. It doesn't feel like there's anticipation. And that's something that I'm very unfamiliar with when it comes to uh, the experience in South Carolina, which I've been covering now for a couple of decades in terms of going down there every time that there's a, a contest. Uh, I stop by and, and talk to a lot of the same people consistently because I go back there regularly. And uh, this time around, I, when I went to uh, one of the, the the house that I literally grew up in, uh, there's a, an old fellow there who's been there for, for quite some time. Uh, and he was unaware that the primary was the next day. <laughs> so do you, do you, so that do, tells you something. Do, do you think there's going to be a, a lower turnout than normal because everybody thinks it's just a fait accompli? I absolutely do. And that's the one thing that probably Nikki Haley has going for her, just in the sense that, you know, the, if you don't have that passion, which we saw in New Hampshire, by the way, I mean, in New Hampshire, sure. the, the you know, you had, uh, you know, higher than normal turnout, you had a high engagement level. Um, so people could dismiss kind of the Iowa thing as just being about the weather and the cold. Uh, but the uh, the situation here is, is uh, in, in South Carolina, I should say, is much different. And you know, one of the things that I, uh, you know, just found just, in, and this is just, you know, anecdote, obviously, but I put over 500 miles on the rental car over the course of, of my time there. I did not see one homemade Trump sign in that entire time. And now that you do see signs, but the, to, from my perspective, the level of engagement there is just a polar opposite of where it was in 2020, where you had thousands of people lined up around the block, you know, trying to get into his uh, rallies and, 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 you know, really, you know, showing off all of the different uh, personal engagement, you know, their homemade shirts, their homemade signs, et cetera. This time around, it's, it's much more like a, a kind of grim reality of like, uh, we're going to nominate this guy. We've, we've decided we're going to nominate this guy. The party has decided that we're going to nominate this guy, but we feel like there's a lot of challenges to get through right. uh, if he's going to have a shot of winning again. Uh, but just from a practicality standpoint, uh, even if there is a lower turnout, that's not going to make up for a 38-point lead, right? I mean, yeah, he's, I he's, he's, he, he's, he's going to win, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, that, I, I completely agree with that. I do think you could see that lead cut in half. You know, it could be, you know, 18 to 20 points or something like that, uh, just because of that lower turnout and because that, you know, quite frankly, she has a lot of goodwill from the people of South Carolina that sure. is uh, built into it. But losing by 20 is still losing. It's a winner-take-all state. In, so, in, in her home state, and you can't point yeah. to a state that she's going to win. The I mean, the only intellectual case that she has to make is she's the fallback plan in case Trump can't make it, right? 100%. I mean, that's... That's that's the only reason to stay all the way through to the convention, just in case Trump can't 
answer the bell. If he can't get there, if he if if he gets convicted, if he has a medical issue, if something happens, there's no plan B. She's there to be the plan B, and that's really her only case, right? I com- I completely agree, and I think that that case is you know in a normal year you would dismiss it as being foolish to have something like that happen. You know, you're going to waste money, you're going to waste time, et cetera. But I actually think that this year, because it's so weird and because we've never had the experience of uh, someone who is running under this type of legal cloud, uh, that I think that it makes rational sense on some level for her to do that and to establish herself as essentially, you know, if we go to a convention, I want to be the obvious fallback uh, in a way that, uh, you know, other candidates uh, can't make that argument anymore. So I I personally, you know, I, I don't think that there's quite as much animosity among the voting electorate uh, uh, toward that decision uh, versus, say, the the pundits and the the higher-ups in the party and certainly the folks who are in Trump land. They want to get rid of her as quickly as possible. But it's one of these situations where, uh, honestly, if he continues to win the way that he's he's currently on track to win, uh, it's not going to be that much a difficulty for him. And I I don't really think that there's, you know, a, a likelihood, given the... Given the way that the schedule has worked out with these cases, they keep getting pushed back. They keep getting uh, pushed to the side. They keep getting, uh, you know, in the appeals. And other than the, you know, the heavy weight of the financial costs that he's having to bear uh, because of it, the and the distraction, of course, of not being able to campaign in the traditional way because of that court schedule. I don't think that many of these cases, if any of them, are going to end up resolved before November and certainly probably not before the convention this summer. But I totally agree with you. Uh, You've got a piece in The Spectator that Trump is kind of subdued of late. And I've noticed that, too. Laura Ingram in a in a town hall with him said, hey, you know, you got to actually you've got a pretty terrific sense of humor. You ought to showcase that on the on the campaign trail. And he said, yeah, you know. The country really needs saving first. We we really have some serious stuff to do. May, there might be time for jokes later, but but he's kind of staying serious, and he's yeah. he's kind of I've I've noticed he's kind of leaned into serious Trump mode, and and I think you're suggesting it's just the weight of of all the cases and all of the debris that's that's being pounded on him. And I agree with that, but maybe he's dialing back the crazy a little bit, which I think he's going to need to do. Well, I think part of it, too, is that, look, the, there's a certain point where I think reality has hit him. that If he doesn't win this election, uh, if he doesn't get back to the White House, then it's not just about, quote unquote, saving the country. It's all is lost, own, personal, yeah, too. Yeah, all yeah, is all lost. His, yeah, all of his personal losses. Uh, that he has experienced along the way here gain that much more weight. Right. Um, and look, there's there's no happy ending there. No matter what you know ends ends up being the case, even if he avoids you know jail time, even if he's able to find ways to pay off these costs, even if he wins on appeal, that's not a happy ending because it took all these years of your life and resources and everything else like that. You know, it's nothing like I think what he thought he was going to be able to do. Uh, you know, even even in the wake of losing the 20 election, I think that he now has to deal with that grim reality. Uh, and so because of that, I think it's made him a lot more serious. And the other thing is, and I do believe this about uh, him, 
I think that he really is concerned about the way that the world has been spitting off its axis under Biden. Yep. And, and and that's his concern, obviously, shared by his voters, shared by Republicans generally. Uh, but, you know, it's, it just he's a person who's late in his 70s, who's seen a lot in terms of his life, and he's seen a lot of periods in which America really got into risky situations. And certainly around the world, I think we see that happening today. Uh, I'm going to play a lot of his speech at NRB, which was actually a grand speech. It was a fine address. So we'll do that at the bottom of the hour. But I want to shift gears before we run out of time. By the way, Dwayne Patterson in for Hugh Hewitt today, talking with Ben Dominich of Fox News and The Spectator. Um, Hugh's got a piece this week on trying to encourage people to remember Vladimir Karamurza, who is basically the next uh, Alexei Navalny, the, you know, the, the, the next top dissident in Russia. And he's trying to keep a spotlight on him to kind of protect him a little bit by keeping media attention on him. You actually know him, right? Yeah. So it, I should say that my wife and his wife, Evgenia, are friends and have been friends for quite some time. She's an American citizen, as uh, are uh, Vladimir's children. And I got to know him because he was uh, a pallbearer, uh, one of the ones that uh, my uh, father-in-law, John McCain, had, had chosen along with me. And so we have had dinner many times with them and, and uh, consider them good friends. They live in the northern Virginia area, as we do. And he decided to go back a couple of years ago uh, to Russia, even knowing the risks involved there. He was a uh, deputy of Boris Nemtsov, who was assassinated by the Putin regime and was, uh, you know, someone who was also part of the Navalny movement and, and party pushing back against the communist authorities there. And he's he's in uh, a Siberian prison. It is not one of the ones that is north of the Arctic Circle. It's one that's in Omsk, and so it's a little more uh, centrally located. They tend to move you into the really rural places before they decide to, to whack you, chuck you right. down the elevator shaft. And right. so it's, um, it's a situation, though, where and this is something that I'm deeply concerned about. But, you know, in the, in the past, when we put the spotlight on, on different people as a nation, uh, America, that meant something. Uh, you know, it meant don't mess with this person. Otherwise, there will be consequences. And what people have learned under this administration is there are no consequences. Absolutely. That has to change. Absolutely. Just quick 10-second uh, out. Biden's uh, team is announcing they're going to do sanctions on 500 Russian entities today. Do you think that's going to be anything real and have any impact? You know, I hope so. I think it can have an impact, but that needs to be the first thing, not the last thing. I 100% agree. Ben Dominich of The Spectator, thank you very much. I want to remind everyone, a great sponsor of the program is MyPhDWeightLoss.com. Generalissimo went on that program more than a year ago, lost 50 pounds. He's kept it off. And uh, stress eating is not allowed, I don't believe, even though we're under a lot of... Uh, sure uh, tempted uh, to this week, aren't we? Uh, everybody is, I, but, but we don't. I'm sure they give you tricks of the trade to combat that because that's one of the habits. You broke that habit. You're not going by Del Taco or Taco no. Bell. Have not. No. You haven't relapsed. Have not relapsed. And um, that is a, And it's healthy. It's wise. It's yes. productive. 864 644 1900. That's 864-644-1900. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact.
Welcome back, everybody. Dwayne Patterson for Hugh Hewitt. 33 minutes past the hour. Donald Trump was at National Religious Broadcasters, as was Hugh, in Nashville, Tennessee last night. And we're going to play a lot of that in just a second. But the South Carolina primary is indeed tomorrow, as Ben Dominich talked about at the top of the hour. And uh, Nikki Haley who was the governor of that state for a couple of terms and is down significantly in polling, um, nevertheless made her closing argument on um, CNN with Jake Tapper, I believe. And here is what she said. Cut 15. What I'm trying to tell all Republicans and anybody, independents as well, anybody that's voting in those primaries is if you want a change in our country, which I think the entire country wants a change, we won't get a change if we don't win an election. Donald Trump will not win the general election. You can you can have him win any primary you want. He will not win a general election. We will have a female president of the United States. It will either be me or it will be Kamala Harris. But if Donald Trump is the nominee, you can mark my words, he will not win a general election. And what I say to everybody is don't complain about what happens in a general election if you don't really think about that in this primary. We can do better. You look at, I mean, these are the two most disliked politicians in America. Look at the polls. Look at what they're saying. Sixty percent of Americans are saying Donald Trump's too old and Joe Biden's too old to be president. You look at the military. They cap retirement at 65. You look at pilots. They cap retirement at 65. We've got a lot to fix in this country. We need someone who can work eight years straight of hard work day and night, fully disciplined with no drama, no vendettas, just results for the American people. That's what's at stake here. And I'm going to continue to stay in and tell people this as long as I possibly can. So the trials have have nothing to do with your decision. And I I would also note that I believe early on in the primary process, you raised your hand and said you would support the nominee, even if he were a convicted felon. Well, I don't think the American people would support a convicted felon. But I will tell you, I have a lot of issues with Donald Trump. I have said that. I have no bones about speaking that. I have even more issues with Joe Biden. The key is we don't need either one of them. I think the court cases absolutely hurt Donald Trump. Right now, it may be giving him a shot in the arm. But he has said himself he's going to spend more time in a courtroom than the campaign trail. All of March, all of April, all of May, all of June, when you have that scenario, the chances of anyone winning that Republican nomination, if he is the person, are slim. They are just going to keep going down. Half a billion dollars in judgments he's got so far. He's now got to figure out where that money's going to come from. Fifty million of campaign contributions from his own um, campaign have gone towards personal court cases. Now they're trying to get the RNC on board and trying to get me out so that they can continue to help him pay for judgments in court cases. We can't win an election that way. It is literally impossible that we will win an election if Donald Trump is the nominee. So I'm going to keep pushing through. We have a a country to save, and I'm going to continue to show people that if I can beat Joe Biden by 18 points, guess what? That's a mandate to stop the wasteful Mm -hmm. spending, get our country back on track. That's a mandate to get our kids reading again. That's a mandate to secure our borders. That's Mm -hmm. a mandate for law and order in our cities. And that's a mandate for a strong America that we can all be proud of. 
So that's Nikki Haley's closing argument to South Carolina. Meanwhile, Donald Trump was at the National Religious Broadcasters, largest collection of religious broadcasters. Salem Radio, Salem Media is obviously there. Lots of other uh, great religious broadcasters all over the country were were there. But uh, you know, in 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 our world in Salem, that's that's like our Harry Potter world there. Uh, Donald Trump was there to serve notice that uh, he is amongst his people there. Uh, he is one of us. Here is Donald Trump. Cut 16. We'll also take historic action to defeat the toxic poison of gender ideology and restore the timeless truth that God created two genders, male and female. <laughs> So crazy. It's crazy that it's controversial. It shouldn't be. It should be obvious. But uh, Donald Trump had no problem saying it at NRB to a rousing uh, applause. He also said this about what he's going to do to school funding to all these woke schools. Cut 17. On day one, I will sign a new executive order to cut federal funding for any school pushing critical race theory, transgender insanity, and other inappropriate racial, sexual, or political content onto our children. Thank you. I will support a policy of universal school choice, allowing parents to choose the public-private charter or religious school that that best suits their children. And I will support America's homeschool families, including allowing 529 education savings accounts to be used for homeschooling expenses up to $10,000 a year per child, completely tax-free. So you can do that if you like it. Okay, I'm going to skip ahead one and do some of the policy stuff, and then we're going to get to his comments on Christianity and faith and uh, its its necessity of being part of the American uh, fabric of society. He uh, he promised to bring back maganomics. Is uh, first time I've heard him actually use that term. Cut nineteen. I will stop the disaster known as Bidenomics, and we will return to maganomics, putting America first at all times. We will stop Biden's inflation nightmare. I will cut your taxes and regulations, and we will drill, baby, drill. Our, our, uh, we have more than anybody, remember that, more than anybody. Liquid gold, I call it. He, uh, again, was at the National Religious Broadcasters, which are largely Christian, lots of Catholic broadcasting networks that are there as well. Uh, there are Jews that are there. There are Mormons that are there. People of faith that are in the broadcast industry congregate there. And uh, Donald Trump had a, a key component in mind, which is the necessity to restore Christianity to greatness in in uh, American society. Cut 18. If you think about it, you have men, you have women, and you have religion. If you look at it, you have more than the men, you have more than the women. 
you have such power, but you really, you weren't allowed to use that power, and you're now allowed to use it. I get in there, you're going to be using that power at a level that you've never used it before. It's going to bring back the churchgoer. I mean, you have to see. I don't like the charts when I see charts where they're going in the wrong direction. We don't like that. We're going to bring it back, and I really believe it's the biggest thing missing from this country. It's the biggest thing missing. We have to bring back our religion. We have to bring back Christianity in this country. Now, here's a couple of things he promised he's going to do once he becomes president. He's going to create a couple of task forces, one of them to uh, fight back at the the undeclared task force going after Christian parents at school boards and and people of faith for engaging in the public square that are getting the, the federal government uh, snooping into their um, their very lives and and personal uh, backgrounds. Donald Trump is going to reverse that and go after the anti-Christian bias. Cut number 20. Upon taking office, I will create a new federal task force on fighting anti-Christian bias. It's become a very big term, anti-Christian bias. Not believable that you have a term like that, is it? When you think about it, it's like... Where did that come from? And it's very, a very recent phenomenon. Its mission will be to investigate all forms of illegal discrimination, harassment, and persecution against Christians in America. He refers to a lot of people that are incarcerated uh, to extreme uh, sentences as part of the J6 thing as political prisoners. And he's going to create another task force to look into them. Cut number 21. To reverse these monstrous abuses of power, the moment I win the election, I will appoint a special task force to rapidly review the cases of every political prisoner who has been unjustly victimized by the Biden regime. On his pro-life record, cut 22. From my first day in office, I took historic action to protect the unborn like nobody has ever done. Nobody has ever done it. Thank you. I reinstated and expanded the Mexico City policy. Uh, Ronald Reagan didn't do it. Nobody did it. Nobody did it like us. And was the first president ever to attend the March for Life rally in Washington, D.C. It was a great honor. And I was able to bring this issue for the first time in 54 years, back to the states where everybody agrees on both sides. Everybody agrees that's where it should be, back in the states. It was so important. Everybody on both sides. Here's Donald Trump on uh, accountability, ultimate accountability. Cut 23. What they cannot stand is that, in the end, we do not answer to bureaucrats in Washington. We answer to God in heaven. We do. We answer to God in heaven. So today I come before you as a friend and an ally and a fellow believer to ask for your help and your support and your prayers for this country. We need your prayers, most importantly. Uh, He mentioned Hugh, who was also there. Cut 30. And Sharon Ward, thank you very much. A man who's treated me most of the times pretty good. And I like him and he is a smart guy. Hugh Hewitt. Where are you, you? Where are you? Thank you. Okay, most of the time. Well, that's 
that's actually pretty accurate. Um, cut number 24. So today I come before you as a friend and an ally and a fellow believer to ask for your help and your support and your prayers for this country. We need your prayers, most importantly. And I make you a simple promise. In my first term, I fought for Christians harder than any president has ever done before. You know that. You know that. And I will fight even harder for Christians with four more years. Cut 28. I'm here today because I know that to achieve victory in this fight, just like in the battles of the past, we still need the hand of our Lord and the grace of Almighty God. We have to have that. And then finally, cut 29 real quick. And it's a true honor to be here in this beautiful Nashville with this is a great place. With the National Religious Broadcasters, what, a, what an important group. And they're giving you a hard time in Washington, but you won't have a hard time in about uh, 11 months from now. I think. Lots of optimism and a very good speech. Dwayne Patterson in for Hughes. Sarah Bedford of the Washington Examiner joins us right after the break. Stick around. Check it out. Stretch of at least my portion of the Hugh Hewitt show today. Dwayne Patterson filling in for Hugh Hewitt. Dr. Larry Arn will join Hugh with the Hillsdale Dialogue right after the top of the hour break. Uh, there is one news story that is just kind of percolating in the background that's kind of lost in the shuffle, and that is ex FBI informant who was arrested for Biden's bribery, bribery claims. His name is Alexander Smirnov and the story, the spin, the counterspin, it's a hard story to follow and make heads or tails of. One person that is making heads or tails of it is the Washington Examiner's political investigative reporter extraordinaire, our friend Sarah C. Bedford. You can read her at Sarah C. Bedford on Twitter X, and she joins us now. Sarah, what do we need to know about this guy, and what is going on with this story? Well, there are a lot of unanswered questions in this story. It's taken a pretty bizarre turn this week. But essentially, if you remember the bribery claim that hasn't really been discussed in about six months or so, but it was, you know, a a headline in July 2023 when Republicans made what's known as an FD 1023 form public. It was an FBI form that memorialized a conversation that a confidential human source had had with the FBI. And so up until this point, the FBI had tried to withhold that document. They told Congress that we can't give it to you because the confidential human source is very valuable to us. He or she has provided us a lot of information that we've used in previous investigations. They're highly reliable and we can't jeopardize their identity. Fast forward now to February 14th, and the same confidential human source is unmasked is indicted for allegedly lying to the FBI in a subsequent interview and is taken into custody. Now, the only two charges that this FBI informant is facing is a a making a false statement charge and a creating a false record charge. So a judge released Alexander Smirnoff on bail because it's not a violent crime. It's not a necessarily very serious felony. And the Justice Department begged this judge to lock Alexander Smirnoff back up And he was rearrested yesterday for reasons that remain unclear. So today we'll learn if he'll be free or not. But just a really bizarre, bizarre saga there. 
There's lots of bizarre stuff going around with Hunter Biden. I'm going back to the CBS story. I don't know if you followed this at all. CBS lays off 800 people, including our friend Catherine Herridge, who is, you know, national security reporter, you know, par excellence. There's few people better than her. But as part of the the hemorrhaging of staff there, they seized all of her files, her computers, her her notebooks, all of her confidential uh, uh, witnesses lists. What is going on at at BlackRock, uh, Sarah? Does that concern you as a reporter? Absolutely. I think more in the media should be really uh, outraged and concerned about what's happening to Catherine Herridge right now and the seizing of her files, which puts her confidential sources at risk. Of course. They're identified in those files. But I think, you know, there, there's I've read in the headlines, there were tensions between management of the network and the negative stories about the Biden administration, specifically Hunter Biden, that she had been writing. And so I do wonder if that's a factor in the fact that there aren't more people in our industry speaking up for her because she was so critical of the Biden White House. Uh, A couple more minutes left with Sarah Bedford, and I want to shift over to the uh, immigration story, because apparently after saying, no, there's nothing more I can do, Joe Biden has decided, well, technically, I guess there is something more I can do. And now he's floating a uh, series of executive orders that's going to try to you know, tighten up the border because blue state governors are screaming at him. The question I have for you is, is this going to any proposed action by Joe Biden on executive order? Does that shake up anything within either the House or the Senate immigration bills? Or is everybody just kind of locked into their their turf and uh, bring on November? Well, I think, you know, it's obviously an acknowledgement that this is a crisis for Joe Biden. But Republicans are not likely to see this as a sufficient um, move on the border because it's it's still allowing thousands of people to come over the border. The threshold is not low enough with, when this um, authority is supposedly triggered. I mean, look, we've, we've talked about this quite a bit with Hugh, but one of the reasons why that immigration bill in Congress is insufficient is that it didn't have any funding or any provisions for It didn't build the wall. wall. It didn't build the wall, right. Right. Uh, ways to address immigration. So until Joe Biden does some of those, I don't think this is going to be enough. Sarah, thanks as always. Thanks for uh, uh, fighting sick bay and joining us. It sounds like you're still fighting a cold. Sorry. And, no, it's fine. I'm, 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 you powered through. Hopefully you'll be uh, feeling better uh, next week when we talk to you. Sarah C. Bedford on Twitter X. Uh, read all of her stuff for the Washington Examiner. She is a phenomenal reporter. Uh, that does it for me. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.